Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hey folks, Preet is out this week, so today Barb McQuaid is back to help me break down the latest news. As many listeners may know, Barb served as the U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan. She is now a CAFE contributor, a law professor at the University of Michigan Law School, and a legal analyst for NBC News and MSNBC. Barb and I discussed the New York Attorney General's civil lawsuit against Donald Trump, three of his adult children, and others for allegedly taking part in a years-long financial fraud scheme. We also talk about the ruling by a three-judge panel of the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals that permits DOJ to resume investigating the classified Mar-a-Lago documents. And we check in on Judge Raymond Deary as he begins his review as the special master. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, Try the membership for just $1 for one month. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. We look forward to having you as a part of the insider community. Well, it's a good week to be able to multitask because there's an awful lot going on. But I thought we would start with the New York lawsuit that was filed by New York's Attorney General I'm not sure. I mean, maybe this is just me, but I'm not sure anyone expected a civil suit to be more compelling than a criminal prosecution. But Letitia James made a real play last week. She calls her sequel to Trump's book, The Art of the Deal, The Art of the Steal. And I don't think that that's an overclaim here. It's not a criminal case, but if she can prove the allegations that she makes, she could do significant damage to the former president. She could damage his ongoing ability to conduct business, his financial stability. She might even chip away at this myth he cherishes so much that he's a highly successful businessman. The basics, I think people have seen this by now, but but just to be clear, the lawsuit alleges that from 2011 to 21, Donald Trump, with the help of his children, and I say children in quotation marks, Don Jr., Ivanka, and Eric, as well as two of his senior executives, including CFO Alan Weisselberg, who has already pleaded guilty to criminal charges, that they falsely inflated his net worth by billions of dollars to induce banks to lend money to the Trump organization on more favorable terms to obtain insurance. And then they turned around and decreased those numbers for tax purposes. So this is civil, not criminal. Nobody's going to jail. But the burden of proof on all of these allegations that James makes 
is the preponderance of evidence, not beyond a reasonable doubt like it would be in a criminal case. And that preponderance of the evidence standard means James only has to prove the allegations are more likely than not. Um, So, Barb, I'm awfully interested in hearing your take on this lawsuit. I think this is really an important case. And I know that sometimes people tend to think that civil matters are somehow less significant than criminal matters. But to me, this is an effort at real accountability for Donald Trump for who he is, a con man. And so holding him accountable and to the tune of $250 million, as well as, as you said, preventing him from being involved in in real estate and corporations in New York State in the future would be some very significant accountability. And the allegations here are very serious. They talk about the fact that he inflated his net worth by billions, billions with a B. And we can talk in some detail about some of the most egregious examples. But this is some serious work went into this thing. It took them three years. They looked at millions of documents. And it shows because they detail in that complaint, which is you know something like 212 pages, and there's no fluff in there. They detail the transactions. They show this was the valuation, this was the false valuation, and this was the difference. And as a result, lenders provided money on much more favorable terms than he otherwise would have received because they had this false sense of security that these numbers were higher than they was. One of my favorites is also, he said to his accountants, in my statement of financial condition, I want my net worth to be higher every year. Well, don't we all, but, uh, but we don't engineer it that way. And you said something really important, Joyce, and that's the proof here requires only a preponderance of the evidence, not guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, which is often what hangs up a decision to charge or not charge criminally. When you only have to prove a case by, as you said, 51%, it's a much easier case. A couple other things about this case that strike me as making it particularly strong. One is it's a documents case. You don't have to rely on you know eyewitnesses who might have had imperfect opportunities to observe or might be impeached during their cross examination for bias. These are documents. You know, you you said one thing for one purpose, and and here on a different occasion, you've got a different number on on the document for valuing the same property. You know, documents unlike witnesses. They don't lie. Documents don't have bad memories. Documents are are signed and they tell the truth. So they're very difficult to cross-examine. And for that reason, document cases are very strong. The other thing about this case is that during their depositions, Donald Trump and Eric Trump invoked their Fifth Amendment rights against self-incrimination. And in a criminal case, no jury would know about that because of the Fifth Amendment rights there. But in a civil case, a jury would be entitled to know that, that they get a a strong adverse inference, inference that the testimony in response to those questions would have been adverse to the party making those statements. So for all of those reasons, I think this civil case could be the one that finally holds Donald Trump accountable. So Barb, I agree with all of that. I think that this has enormous potential for accountability. And there's a little bit of a karma feeling to it because Trump, for whom the money always matters, the prestige always matters, ultimately, you know, accountability can be very personal. And I recall at one point doing a series of prosecutions of people who had been CEOs at a company that folded, a major company, a corporation in Alabama called Health South that folded because of a fraudulent internal scheme, compromised not only its employees' retirement, but but its investors' security. 
And there was a story that really rankled me during that, which was that one of the CEOs who had been sent to prison for only uh, four months had a little party down at the beach before the night he went off to prison. And the message that it sent was he could spend four months doing time on his head because he had walked away with millions of dollars in ill-gotten gains. And I think that same way about Trump. I mean, not that he could or would go to prison happily, but but I think for him, it's all about the money. So I like this lawsuit, but I've got to get something off my chest. And I wonder if this bothers you as much as it bothers me. I am constantly annoyed by the fact that Trump and people in Trump world and some television commentators talk about Trump's three children as though they have no responsibility for their own acts. What I mean, are they, seven are, or eight years old? Is yeah, that- I mean, right? You know, 30s and 40s, people who conducted multi-million dollar transactions. Ivanka Trump was a senior advisor to a president of the United States. Do you think I'm making too much out of this or is this some effort to minimize their exposure? I don't think you're making too much of it at all. I I share your disdain. William Barr, in fact, is one who said, I thought it was overreach to include Trump's children in this case. As if it's a gratuitous smear. If you read the complaint, Mr. Barr, you'll see that it doesn't include them because of their relationship with Donald Trump or even because of their position in the company, which, you know, alone suggests uh, a knowledge, but because of their conduct, it, it specifies exactly what they did. Eric Trump signed some statements of financial condition. Donald Trump Jr. signed documents attesting to valuation. And Ivanka Trump was in charge of one of the most egregious violations, which was the Trump International Hotel deal in Washington, D.C. You know that building, Joyce, that you and I had to walk back and forth in front of on our way to the Department of Justice? It's right next door to the Justice Department with that, you know, incredibly garish Trump International Hotel sign. She was involved. She led that project. And in that project, they made great misrepresentations to win a lease with the General Services Administration. It's that deal that caused a loss of $100 million. And so she's really at the heart of of that claim. And so the idea that it's piling on or an overreach to include the children is just not consistent with the facts that are alleged in the complaint. You know, as a prosecutor, something that you always want to do is see if there are divisions or wedges among people who are at risk. And I think this is true in a civil case, just like it, it is in a criminal case. Does somebody have more of an interest in cooperating with the government than some of the other folks because of their exposure? So I've tried to puzzle through this question of which of the kids is the most at risk here. And I think your assessment of Ivanka is really a savvy one. You know, like you, I used to walk past, especially the last year of the Obama administration, those big signs that said, Trump is coming. Um, And it gave you that bad feeling in the pit (laughs) of your stomach. But, you know, she makes these presentations to the GSA in 2011. She also uses these statements to get Deutsche Bank loans in 2012 and 2013. So like you say, it's not just that she's his daughter. It's that she was involved in these sorts of things. You know, Eric, of course, is the source of the valuation for Seven Springs, which is a whole separate sort of a situation. And he certifies statements in 2020 and 2021. And he invoked the Fifth Amendment a number of times when he was deposed. 
And then Don Jr. is the source for valuations on properties like Park Avenue. He's responsible for statement prep from 2016 to the present, and he certifies in 2017 to 2019. And something that occurs to me is, you know, in so many cases, you see parents who try to take responsibility for anything that their children might have done if they're in a bad legal situation together. I don't see Donald Trump doing that. You know, I mean, he could, (laughs) you could see him saying, well, Don Jr. did those valuations. I'm not responsible for what Don Jr. did. But I'm wondering, do you think one among the kids is in more trouble, might be more likely to be culled from the herd, what what my family calls the littlest zebra? <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, I used to go hiking with, when my kids were younger, uh, we'd go to these national parks and, uh, you know, we'd say, what do we do if there's a bear? And they say, you don't have to be able to outrun the bear. You just have to be able to outrun the slowest member of your family. Exactly. And so who, yeah, who in among the Trump clan is the littlest zebra? Yeah, I, I think that's a very real possibility. They are all squeezed. And you you noted somewhere, Joyce, maybe in your civil discourse substack, which is excellent, by the way, and everyone should subscribe and read it. I learned so much. Thank you. That the Trump children currently share a lawyer, which suggests an alignment of interest. But at some point, if they should change lawyers, that could be a signal that, you know, the littlest zebra has raised his or her hand <laughs> and said, I want out. Is it a hoof or is it a hand? Yeah. And, you know, although this is civil in nature, I think there is this looming specter that it could turn criminal in a hurry. Letitia James said that she was referring this case to the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York. We know that Alvin Bragg, the DA in Manhattan, has kind of punted on this. Not sure why. Of course, proofs of guilt beyond a reasonable doubt are much more difficult than by preponderance of the evidence. But these same facts would make out, I think, claims for bank fraud, which is a federal offense, a pretty serious federal offense. And the sentencing guidelines there are dictated by the amount of the fraud, which here, you know, we say billions, uh, ill-gotten gain of 250 million. So potentially some pretty high prison terms are looming out there. And you wonder if at some point one of the children, if, you know, doesn't say, uh, yeah, I can't do time. And sorry, sorry, family, but I need to, you know, tell the truth and cut myself a deal here. So I, I think that is certainly looming out there. It'll be an interesting family dinner at the Thanksgiving table this year. Oh, I bet that they don't all get together. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think, you know, you raise an interesting point, which is that James was very clear to say that she was making criminal referrals not just back to the Manhattan DA, but also to the federal government. You know, the Manhattan DA, it had looked like that case was winding down, but he, Alvin Bragg, made statements this week indicating that he continued to investigate. Do you really think that there might be some renewed vitality there? I'm not sure. You know, we know that the two case prosecutors who were brought in to handle this presented it to, you know, Cy Vance when he was there and then Alvin Bragg came on. Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership for just $1 for one month. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who've chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work.